Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen. So welcome to 12 Stone here at our central campus in online at 12 Stone Home. Glad you are jumping in with us. And hey, happy Labor Day weekend. How's everybody doing? You guys good? Everybody good? Yes? And you deserve a break. I know our teachers, man, I, I, I sure tomorrow's going to be a great break for you as well. But man, we hope you are having a great Labor Day weekend. Maybe you got some time to hang out with the family, cook some good food, watch college football, which started, which is kind of awesome. Uh, just have some fun relaxing. Well, we are kind of in between series here at 12 Stone. We're starting Ephesians next week, excited about that. And while it's Labor Day weekend and we're kind of in between, we thought, let's take this opportunity to talk about work. That's right. We're going to talk about work today, and we don't get too excited about that topic often, but I think God's going to do something here to change the way we see work inside of our lives this Labor Day weekend. Now, statistics show the average person is going to spend about 90,000 hours working in their jobs in their life. It's a lot of hours. Unfortunately, statistics show as well that most people are unhappy in their work. In fact, let's take a moment. Let's have some fun with this here, and, and let's do it uh, at 12 Stone Home as well. Maybe at 12 Stone Home, you pause this teaching for a second and take a few seconds to share, but I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them the worst job you ever had. Take a few seconds. Go ahead and do that. Now, I hope, I hope that job is not the job you're currently in, right? <laughs> currently doing it. I hope that's not the case. For me, it was when I was growing up. I worked at the Flat River Grill in Lowell, Michigan, and I was the dishwasher for that entire restaurant, man. Worked in like some back corridor sauna, washing dishes all day. It was the worst. But here's, here's why it matters. Man, it doesn't matter if you have the worst job you can possibly imagine, or the greatest and you love it. I'm praying that God is gonna radically transform the way we view work inside of our lives, how we carry that out day to day. In fact, we're gonna kind of do like an overview, so to speak, of what work looks like theologically throughout scripture, how it applies to our lives, and what God has to say on the subject. We're gonna spend time in Genesis. We're gonna spend time in Proverbs, Colossians. We're gonna spend time in 1 Peter. We're gonna go a little bit everywhere to get a better understanding of this. So, you guys ready to get to work? No pun intended. Grab your Bibles, and let's go after it. Turn to Genesis chapter Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in the very beginning in the historical account of creation and how work was already there amongst it. So Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to be reading verses 7 through 9, and then we'll go to verse 15 as well. You can follow along on your devices or have your Bible open yourselves. I'm in the NIV uh, as we read. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, verse 15. Here we go. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. 
Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the next couple of verses are going to talk about how there's a river that went through the garden, how it broke up into separate different uh, uh, rivers after that. But let's go to verse 15. I'll read you follow along. It says this, the Lord God then took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of of it. Now, they're going to put that last verse on, on the screen here. What's important to understand about the context of this point of scripture is this is before the fall. This is before sin has entered the world on this earth after Adam and Eve have eaten the forbidden fruit. This is before that actually happened. And that's important to know to know this, that God actually work is what we were created for. God created you for work. For some of us, we don't want to believe this. We're like, no, I don't know about that. He did. He created us. This is before the fall. God created us for work. Let's go back to that, that verse. What, what's really important for us to catch inside of this is when he talks about placing the man in the garden of Eden to work it, that word is very important to understand. The word for work. It's in Hebrew originally, but it's the word avad. Can you say that? Avad? The word of God. And here's why it's so important. This word is actually used in Deuteronomy chapter 30 as well. And when it's used in that instance, it carries the, the meaning of worship. See, Adam didn't just worship God in the Garden of Eden by walking around and talking with him and staying away from a few bad apples, right? Adam worshiped God by carrying out the work that God had given to him. That was an act of worship for him. And what it shows us is this, is that God gave us work as a way to worship him. Work is worship. According to the original design of what God had intended for you and I on this earth, he gave us work as an act of worship to point back to him. See, the word literally means to pre prepare or to, to develop. That's what work means with a worshipful undertone. See, God made Adam a gardener, not a park ranger. Do we understand this? There's a difference. Like park rangers, what do they do? They stand around, they kind of protect the area. They just make sure nothing bad is going to happen. That's not Adam. He's not a park ranger. He's a gardener. He placed them in there to form the raw materials that were at his disposal to create things for the pleasure of God. See, when we go to the, uh, the account of creation, you guys remember the word that is used in scripture that God uses to describe his creation? God creates and he says it's what? It's good. He creates, it's good. He creates, it's good. See, good, that word in the Hebrew is not the word for perfect for raw, a raw material. Still in a good state, good is good, just not perfect. To help you understand a little bit better what I mean, the difference between good and perfect in this instance, uh, let me say this. So my wife, Cassie, when she gets ready for church in the morning, when she shows up to church in a place like this, she's perfect, right? She can't be improved upon. She, she, she gets all dialed up in her dress, curls her hair, puts on makeup. She is perfect perfect when she shows up for church. When she wakes up in the morning, she's good. <laughs> Not bad. It's great. 
I'm going to get in trouble for that one. <laughs> I debated. Do I do this? Do I not? Uh, I don't know if I made the right decision. We'll find out later. I'll let you know. See, when God created, he said it was good, and then he put Adam in the garden to take those raw materials to make something beautiful for his glory. See, we take raw materials of the earth and develop them for the God's glory, for his glory. Contractors take raw materials and cement and sand and steel and put cities together and buildings together. We have artists that take raw materials and musicians that take these notes and these instruments and put them to form something beautiful in music and art. We have lawyers that take principles of justice and organize them in a beautiful way, hopefully to let society flourish. See, and the key is, as we do this, we are worshiping God through what he has given us to carry out according to his will. The, reform, the reformer Martin Luther, uh, actually, he looked at Psalm 134. They'll throw it up on the screen right here. Uh, 147, sorry. And he looked at this point of scripture and read it and asked a question. Let me read it first. He's, he said this, for God strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. The reformer Martin Luther looked at this scripture and he said, well, how? How does God actually do that? How does God strengthen the bars of your cities? Well, through government officials and politicians that form law, hopefully that benefit us and help our society flourish. Well, how does God bless your children amongst you with teachers and pediatricians, people that watch over our children and moms and dads that are at home taking care of them? Well, how does God make peace in the borders? Well, hopefully through policy and through government. Maybe not right now, but it, we're watching that form out, and it, it was designed that way. How does he fill you with the finest wheat inside of your life? Well, through farmers, through people cultivating, through waiter, waiters and waitresses that are serving through hosts at the restaurants. See, God is using these circumstances in your life to bring glory to him in what you're doing through work. See, God gave us work as a way to worship him. Now, one word of clarification inside of this, call it a warning, whatever you want. Uh, one of the curses of the fall, one of the curses of the fall that takes place is work became toilsome, Right? They, they're deceived by the serpent. They sin against God, and work becomes toilsome. It tells us that there's thorn and thistles as we work. I first read this in my life, and I thought to myself, well, good thing I'm not a farmer. This doesn't apply to me, uh, but it actually does. What, what this means is that inside of our work, we're now working for survival. We're, this is how we survive inside of our lives, and some of you, man, you're experiencing this. You're in a job. You're in work, and it's only partially fulfilling. You're like, yeah, that's all right. Some of you, you hate your job. It is literally like the worst thing. You don't know how to wake up and get, get there. You're just like, this is awful. And that is part of the curse, unfortunately, that has taken place in that we have to live out in. Now, I want to encourage you, though. I want to encourage you with a thought that we're going to break down and wrestle through together. And here's the thought. We'll throw it up. Work isn't where you find your purpose. It's where you fulfill it. Work is not where you're going to find your purpose. It's where you're going to fulfill it. See, too many people are trying to find their purpose in the things that they do on this earth, but you were never designed to discover your purpose there. You're never going to find it, but it is where we fulfill it. Now, I've been sitting on a story that I read once that I absolutely love, and I've been waiting 
in waiting and waiting for a way to get it inside of one of my teachings. So I got it here today. We're going to do it. It's one of my favorite stories. It's about a man named Larry Walters, better known as Lawn Chair Larry. Now, if you haven't heard this story, it's a man that went out to a army surplus store, military store outside of Los Angeles, and he went and found 42 old used weather balloons in bottom. He then went out of his way to get a lawn chair and fill up the balloons, tie them to the lawn chair, tie that down to the back of his pickup truck and go out in the middle of nowhere and cut that cord to launch up. Now, all he brought with him was a peanut butter sandwich, a pellet gun, a radio, a pair of glasses, and a six-pack of beer. Check this out. Larry Walters had always dreamed of flying a balloon to a faraway place. So with help from a friend who taped these scenes, he rigged 42 weather balloons to a lawn chair and filled them with helium. Walters hoped to fly across the mountains to the Mojave Desert, staying in touch with a CB radio. Suddenly a cable broke and up he went with one emotion. Fulfillment. I was on my way. The first casualty, his glasses. They slipped overboard, leading to this radio transmission with his girlfriend. feet. Thirty minutes later, Los Angeles International Airport received a report from a commercial airline saying we have an unidentified flying object at 16,000 feet. The pilot said, I don't know how to explain this or describe this, but I think it's a man in a lawn chair with a pistol. Sounds like he should have been from Georgia. <laughs> when all this was going on, he brought his pistol with him to hopefully shoot out the balloons as he got enough altitude, never expecting to get to 16,000 feet. And he did. He shot some balloons out as he went. Eventually, actually dropped his pellet gun, and it fell. Uh, but luckily, that happened because they said if he had shot him out any sooner, he probably would have died and plummeted. He eventually came down. He landed on some power lines. Uh, and, and that's where the authorities met him. He got a fine, a ticket for $1,400 for flying an unmanned uh, personal aircraft into airport space. Mysteriously, the six-pack of beer was nowhere to be found. But why, 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 do, I, why do I tell this story? Here's why. Because when it was all said and done, when he had come down from this experience, of course, the question that they asked him was what? Why? Bro, come on. Like, why did you do this? And he looked at everybody with, with, with serious, just a serious face, and, and just told all the reports, sat down with David Letterman, did an interview, and he told him, when I was growing up, I always thought I was supposed to be an Air Force pilot. Always thought I was supposed to do that. But I got stuck in life being a truck driver. He's a truck driver. That's what he did. And he, and he told him, I was just sick of sitting around 
not doing what I was supposed to be doing. Now, let me make a point. I think many of us watch this story and we laugh and we just go, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Are you kidding me? How stupid can you be? But part of us inside looks at Lawn Chair Larry and we think to ourselves, man, I kind of get it. I, I kind of get I, I wouldn't get in a lawn chair with balloons and go 16,000 feet up, but I kind of get it. Because you're sitting in places of work where you feel like, man, I was created to do so much more than this. There's got to be something missing. Maybe even for some of you, that's why you're here. That's why you're at a 12-stone home group. That's why you're here. You're going, man, I know there's got to be something more to this life than just the grind. I'm missing out on something. And Larry, he just thought, man, if I could just get up in those clouds, I would have that purpose that I'm missing. For others of us, we think when it comes to work, man, if I just had that job, if I had that job, if I had that career, if I had that salary, that prestige, that platform, if I could get on that team, if I could land that position, if I could get that grade inside of this class, man, I would just, I would find my purpose. But let me remind you here today, work is not where you find your purpose. It's where you fulfill it. Paul had an incredible moment writing a letter to a church, talking about what do we do inside of our lives, inside of our households and our work, and all these different things that we carry. And in this letter that he wrote, he addressed what we do. And what I love about this is what Paul's really going after, and it's this. What if God cares more about who you are when you show up than where you're going? He cares more about who you are. And so Paul in Colossians chapter three, they'll throw it up, is writing to the church and he's gonna address to them, what do we do inside of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ? How, what are we supposed to do? And he says this, whatever you do, love this. What's this word? Whatever. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Man, I love this. They're just looking for instruction. They're people like you and I just going, tell me what to do with my life. And Paul says, whatever. You know, I looked this up in the original Greek. It'll blow your mind what it actually means. You know what the word whatever means? Whatever. Whether you're a teacher, a CFO, a business owner, you work in a manufacturing plant, you're a mechanic, you're a waitress or a waiter, say at home, mom, dad, whatever you do, Paul says it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. See, you are serving the Lord Christ. See, this, this teaches us a truth about our lives. You have a higher boss than your employer. You work for a greater reward than your salary. See, we do it unto the Lord. We serve Jesus Christ. See, there is something that separates Christians from everyone else when it comes to the workforce, and it's this. We'll throw it up. See, we do our work for the glory of God unto him. That's what we're called to do. 
You want to know your purpose in life? Do everything that you do for the glory of God. Our purpose is to worship our Heavenly Father. That's our purpose. See, work is not where you find your purpose. It's where you fulfill it. To worship him. To go after the things that he has for you. Students. I wanted to take a moment because I, when I was a kid, I did not believe this, but I want to address students really quick. High school, college, middle school, elementary, all you kids that are in class, parents are going to give me an amen when I get done with this. When I grew up, I thought work would exist when I graduated out of college. It's like, yeah, I'll go to work. I'll get a job. It'll be all right. But that's after I'm a student. Can I tell you something? You are working right now, students. The grades you get in school, the way you study, the way you are studious about going after that is work. And God has called you to do that for his glory. Work at it the best you possibly can. Can I get an amen from parents somewhere? So if everything we do is for the glory of God and unto him, I want to suggest three ways that we use work as worship. That we actually work as worship to our Heavenly Father. And these are practical. Maybe one will stand out to you, and it's a way that you can apply it in your life. But here's the first one. Worshipful work pursues the highest standards of excellence. If our work is done unto God, it should be done according to the highest standards of excellence as an offering to God. See, go back to Scripture. When he says, whatever you do, work heartily. That word is important for us to stand because in, in the Greek, what it breaks down to is that you would do it with all of your mind, body, and soul. Everything. That's excellence when you're fully attentive to it. When I played high school football, I had a, a my football coach, Coach Dean, was our football coach. He always had a way about himself. But what the worst thing about football is when you have two days practices twice a day. I mean, you would have to show up at 6 a.m. and start practicing. Whenever we would show up early at 6 a.m., he would immediately start us in running plays. And every time you would screw it up, he would call you out and he'd yell at you. And he said, you may be here in your body. You may be physically here, but you are mentally not here. Go run until you decide to show up. I think that is a great lesson for every follower of Christ to apply in the workplace. Don't just show up physically. See, we're called to work with an excellence. God is saying, don't just show up physically. Show up with your mind, your body, and your soul on mission for the mission of God. Because when you show up to a workplace, that isn't the workplace. That's the mission field. This is where God is using you to bless others, love people, demonstrate the love of Christ in everything that you do and carry an excellence inside of your work. In the same way, worshipful work reflects the highest standards of ethics. Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle, I love this. He worked in the British government, once played a practical joke on 12 respected, well-known men in Great Britain. Here's what he did. He sent each of them an anonymous telegram from inside the government, went inside the government, sent them a telegram, and it said this, flee at once, all has been discovered. He then came back six hours later, checked on the men. Every single man was packing and leaving. Listen, a lack of integrity is not shocking in the workplace. It is there. 
But as followers of Christ, we are called to have a higher standard of ethics in everything we do. And here's why. Since our work is done unto God, our ethical practices reflect on God. When people know you as a follower of Jesus Christ, they're going to watch you to see the way you live, to see the ethics that you demonstrate because you are representing your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in everything you do inside of the workplace. Proverbs 11.1 1 says this, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Tim Keller looked at this scripture and said, what's an abomination uh, or a false balance? And he said this, fudging mild reports, padded business expenses, rounding up on time cards, calling in sick when you're not, commanding office supply, commandeering office supplies for personal use, unreported income, using the office printer for personal use, and working from home during COVID. All a little guilty, I suppose. These things, Paul would say, are an abomination to God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a call to live up to an ethics that the rest of the world could never live up to because we are representing our maker in that process. Third, worshipful work makes blessing others its bottom line. To follow Jesus means that you think about your life the way that he thought about his as an offering to serve others. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, we're called to make our bottom line in work to serve the people around us. If you're a business owner, what does this mean? It means personal profit is not the bottom line. Is it good? Of course. I mean, profitable businesses are some of the best things for, for the poor. I mean, it's like the rising tide. When the tide comes in, every boat rises. We want personal profit in our businesses, but you should be asking yourself as a business owner, how can I better serve my employees and the people around me and serve them well in a way that they can see the love of Jesus Christ in it? So I want to close this teaching kind of practical. We're going practical. We're just getting into work. I'm going to close with a thought. And this is what I hope you leave with as we think about work and what it looks like inside of our lives. And the thought is really something that Christians should work for, something that we should work for. And here's what Christians should work for. Christians work for the why. Write it down. I want everybody to write that down. Get that inside your head. This is, this is going to get, make sense in just a second. I believe every Christian should work for the why inside of their lives. See, Peter, in 1 Peter, was writing about work and business in the areas of government and the areas of society and how Christians live inside of it. He even describes Christians in the old KJV style as peculiar people. It says that we're not weirdos just by being weird, but we live a different way in the way we go about work and life and government and home. And then it's in 1 Peter chapter three, or chapter 5, verse 19, where he poses this scripture that demonstrates a question that we should work for. He says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. We work unto him. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, as Christians, we're called to live and work in a way that when we're at work, people are going to ask us why. 
What is this hope that you have that is unwavering that I do not have? And we get to work for that to say, let me tell you about Jesus. See, don't work for a paycheck. Don't work for the weekend. Don't work for the next raise, the next move, the next career. Work for the why. When's the last time someone at your workplace asked you why? Why do you, why do you work with such excellence in ethics? Why do you serve me so well and love me so much? Let me tell you about Jesus. Peter would say that's what we work for. I was watching this televangelist on TV. Clearly from Texas, had to be. He has a smile as big as Texas. Uh, he's, just, he's just going off and preaching. I think he was on TBN somewhere. And he, he makes this statement. He's like, listen, and if you just give to this ministry, God is going to bless you. And you're going you're gonna to drive up to your big old house and your brand new Mercedes with a smile on your face. And your neighbors are going to ask you, why? Why is your life so good? And I just want to reach through that TV and just drop kick that guy across Texas. They're not going to ask you why you're smiling when you, brand, when you pull up in a brand new Mercedes. Everyone is smiling when they're driving a brand new Mercedes. Not shocking. See, they're going to ask you why when you start losing that car. When you lose your job, when you don't get the promotion you knew you deserved, when, when, when you don't get what you want in that workplace, and yet you carry yourself with such a joy, with such a passion to love the people around you and to demonstrate that you care and that you're thankful. And when it's in those worst circumstances, which trouble will come, scripture teaches it, it's then in those circumstances when we are most thankful and full of joy that the people around us are going to look at you and go, Why? What is so different about you? And we're going to point them straight to the only hope that never fails. We just talked about it. You can't stop hope. It's Jesus Christ. Work for the why. That's what we're called to do. So practically, how can we do that? Some practical ways to, to invoke the question of why in our workplace. Maybe one of these will help you. You can put this into practice wherever you work, and it might help you invoke that question. How to provoke or invoke, provoke a 1 Peter 3.15 question in the workplace. And the first one is this. Get to work early so that you can pray for your coworkers by name before the day begins. Watch what happens inside of your own heart towards them. You want to make blessing others the bottom line? This is going to help. Second one. Make it a daily requirement to encourage someone when they do good work. Just keep pointing it out. Don't just celebrate yourself and when you have success. Celebrate them, everything they do. Number three, intentionally eat with other coworkers at lunch and learn their story. Learn their story. Ask them about their life. Let them share. Demonstrate that they matter to you because they do. Number four, bring breakfast once a month for everyone in your department. Now, if you work at somewhere very large, I do not suggest this. Pick a few people that you're close to around you. That could get real expensive real quick. Do it in margin to how much you can afford, but demonstrate that you love them and you care for them. I promise you do this one, eventually you're going to ask why. Number five, offer to pray for someone on the spot when they mention they are going through a tough time. Pray the gospel over them. 
I love the moments in my life when somebody doesn't know I'm a pastor and they're going through a hard thing and I'm like, can I pray for you? As soon as they say yes, they don't know what they just jumped into, man. I'm praying the gospel. Side note, businessmen, women. I have heard some of the best business pitches to sell something in my life from some of you that are Christ followers and yet we are unable to share the gospel or pray the gospel in a concise one minute moment. Go learn that. You need help with that? We've got lots of pastors. Come sit down with us. We want to help you. We've got to learn to pray the gospel over people in the moment. Number six, visit coworkers when they are in the hospital and bring joy. Bring prayer in what they're going through. Pick one of these. Pick one of these. Now, now let me end with a warning. This is the last thing. End with a warning. Here's the warning for you. Worship God, not your work. Part of the problem with the fall, sin entering this world, is we look like lawn chair Larry. We now look for our work to fulfill us. It becomes where we find our identity, turns into idolatry. And we're no longer worshiping God through it. We're just worshiping ourselves as we look for our purpose. But work is not where you find your purpose is where you fulfill it. And your purpose is to worship your heavenly father, to give him glory in everything you do with excellence and ethics, to make serving others the bottom line. Church, let me encourage you, work for the why. That's why God gave it to us. It's a gift to him to worship back. Let me pray for you. Would you bow your heads? So Father, I want to pray right now. Whether you're at 12 Stone Home or you're sitting here at Central Campus, would you just take a moment? If, if, if God has spoken to you in any way, shape, or form inside of this teaching and you're going, that's for me. God has just called me out on that. I mean, maybe I'm worshiping work and not God. Maybe it's just I'm trying to find my purpose in what I do and not in him. Would you just, in a moment, you don't have to put your hands up, don't do anything. Just acknowledge him. Whisper to him. You hear him? Say, I got you. I get it. Father, I pray for them as they acknowledge this and lift this up. What I love about your word is that you remind us, Paul reminds us that there's no condemnation in Christ. So as they're thinking of this, you're not condemning them. You're loving them. You're going, I know. I know my son. I know my daughter. It's okay. And as we give it to you, I pray, Father, would we become a people that worship through our work, that we work for the why? And the last I want to pray for this. God, I understand this through the COVID season. There was a lot of things that got messed up. There's a lot of messed up things. Some of that was work. A lot of people lost their jobs in the process. And so I want to pray for them. If that's you, let me just pray over you. Father, I pray that as you designed us for work to worship you, some people are without work right now. That doesn't mean they're off mission and they're not carrying on what you've called them to do through the Great Commission. It just means that they've lost a place, so to speak, where they can demonstrate the love of Christ. I'm praying, would you give them a job? Would you provide for it? That doesn't mean they get to sit on the couch and you're just gonna miraculously bring it. It means through effort and hard work, they're gonna go look. And Father, would you connect the dots to where they need to be? And would you provide that? And may they use that position to worship you. So Father, we love you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, for that is our only hope. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry 
is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.